Thank you for downloading the Wings Museum podcast. Hello, my name's Glenn Turner, Sergeant Armaments Technician from the Royal New Zealand Air Force, 1985 to 2014. So that's just shy of my 30-year service. 2008, I was elected as uh, the Secretary of the 75 Squadron Association in New Zealand. I served on 75 Squadron uh, Skyhawks in 1999 and uh, 2001 when we were unceremoniously uh, deleted by our our government of the time. A very uh, controversial move to remove all of our air combat force in one fell swoop. So from 2008 till today, as the Secretary of 75 Squadron Association, I've been going around England and interviewing a lot of the veterans and also laying wreaths for our squadron association and uh, also making up ties, pins, plaques and the like. I've managed to sort out some of the history there. Uh, We've had some dedicated people in New Zealand that have researched the uh, New Zealand 75 history from the wartime era and 75 bracket NZ bracket squadron was uh, from 1939-40 to 45. In 1946, because of the uh, sacrifices made by New Zealand, Australian, British and Canadian airmen on 75 Squadron here in the UK, the number plate and the battle honours were gifted to New Zealand and therefore it became 75 RNZAF. It was not a New Zealand Air Force Squadron during World War II, it was RAF. From that time, the RAF has not had a 75 and that's very peculiar for the history of the Royal Air Force Squadrons. From my travels, one of the chaps that appeared on the UK Friends of the 75 Squadron Association was Basil Goldstraw. And for the last three or four years, I've popped down to see Basil when I've come back to the UK. And we have our annual lunch and a beer and a chat. And we've ended up here at your lovely facility here from my first time. And Basil's been here before. But uh, now Basil was a uh, maintenance mechanic with 75 bracket NZ bracket squadron Royal Air Force based at RF Meeple. And uh, your main speciality, Basil, was engines and airframes. Particularly engines. On the squadron, I joined 75 NZ in 1943. I actually had joined up in 42. And then that I was a fitter uh, 2E. And uh, part of my journey through, I did remuster to air crew. I was accepted for uh, flight engineer. And partway through the training, uh, unfortunately or fortunately, whichever you look at it, uh, I had to go into the RFS bottle in Ely in Cambridgeshire. And when I came out, the old uh, CO there said, you're not flying. I had a problem and although I had a problem they didn't tell me what it was because I don't think they knew and I didn't know until until about 1953, 54, something like that uh, and they didn't upset my grading so I just soldiered on. 75 NZ operated until later in the bombing campaign, I'm going back here, later in the bombing campaign as things eased, uh, 75 were taken off uh, operations, uh, getting ready for going home, having some leave, and going then forming part of Tiger Force, which was the operation against Japan. At that particular time, they also got a number of ground crew, flew them out there to start up a maintenance department somewhere, wherever they thought they could do it. Fortunately, 
the, uh, the Americans dropped the atom bomb, so that virtually stopped it. I was one of the lads in R&I. &I. I, I never saw any of the flights and had very little contact with any of the crews because we were always busy on uh, servicing, replacements of engine changes, prop changes, and any modifications that you could do. And uh, we would have a lank, probably two lanks in, uh, uh, previously this was Stirlings. 75 New Zealand squadrons swapped Stirlings for Lancasters mid-44. They only managed to fly the aircraft for about a year. So we were the last squadron, mainline squadron, to be uh, changed from Stirlings to Lancaster. That was a huge effort and the New Zealand government had to intervene to ensure that was done. Well, cessation of, of uh, hostilities uh, VE Day, the 75 New Zealand squadron moved up to Spilsby for Tiger Force, you've already said that, and uh, they started bringing on the Lincolns. So at VJ Day, 75 NZ had three Lincolns in their strength. So you're working on Lancasters right to the end of 1945, Basil, was that correct? Well, yeah, yeah. And uh, then, as I say, the air crew had gone for R&R &R, and they were going to be part of Tiger Force. And of course, I was one of the poor old guys who was looking to come out and I got sent out. They flew us out quickly to uh, uh, eventually to Calcutta, which was Dum Dum. Uh, and then, uh, uh, because the war by this time had finished, down to Mingladon, down to uh, Butterworth, then Changi. As I say, we did major servicing, engine changes, uh, prop changes, any modifications. When a lank came in for servicing or anything, it could have four different time-run engines. So if you take it that there were I think it was 75 hours, then 125, and then it would be 200, am I right, to go down like that. So you never knew which you were going to, you were given the church, you see, so you never knew which one it was, but if it was 75, it was a smaller amount of work you had to do on it than one of the later engines. If you were unlucky, to be the, 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 there'd probably be four, four crews working, a crew on each engine, probably two men on each, there'd be eight of us. And uh, if you were the last one to finish, then you had to get the plane taken out onto the uh, stand where it was run up, checked, 701 checked, and then it went off on air test. You wake, wel welcome it back, and if there were no snags on it, you just signed it off, it's done. So, yeah, some of the jobs we we did were all right. Problem was, our toolkit was an amazing mix of open-ended spanners, uh, a hard-faced hammer, a screwdriver, a pair of pliers, and a roll of wire, copper wire, and that was used for locking everything up when you'd done it, you see. I was at Coningsby two, three years ago, and I was talking to the fitters up there because they wanted to know what we did uh, during the war, and they showed me their toolkit. And they were out, you know, in a big box, this deep, uh, all polished, every spanner in its place in there, three boxes of that. And I always compared our toolkit to what the average gardener 
might have for his mall mower. So that was it. With nothing modern about it. Did, did you manage to get any airtime? Did they take you up at all? Very little. Mm-hmm. Very little. If you could go up on air test, you, you got it. But usually, you, they wouldn't do it. No. Unfortunately, you could do it occasionally. You know, I, I got a few, but uh, it, it depended on how busy you were, whether they wanted you on something else. Jerry came oh. in one night and laid a set of uh, anti-personnel bombs all over, so everything was cancelled, you know. And one of the funny things was, when he, that happened, we had no airfield armament, nothing. They eventually brought in, well, fairly quickly after that, two sets of .5s on a stalk mountain. I don't know whether you know what that is. It was a peculiar mountain that you could stand there and it it. it. Uh, you were told if you're on duty, don't fire unless you get the message to fire. <laughs> oh yeah. So anything that you could see, if you could recognise it, now don't fire until you're told to fire. Just imagine that. Oh God. Yeah. They did. One of the things I did see towards the end was a Lancaster, where they had taken the H2S dome off or the plastic of the dome, left the front shell, and they were experimenting. They, they actually did it. I didn't see them finish it, but they put a 0.5 in that Astrodome. I don't know whether you know that. No, one came in to our place, because on the airfield we had, I think it was 64 MU, and they used to do main plane changes, real, real serious battle damage. And uh, I think it was waiting to go into to 64 to be done. It stood there with the plastic taken away and just, just the aluminium. I can confirm for you that that happened because I interviewed uh, Harry Green DFC uh, several years ago and he was an undergunner. Yeah. So he was one of three that was taken away as a group uh, of gunners that were then retrained as undergunners, and there was one in each flight on 75 New Zealand Squadron at Beeple. So three aircraft were converted, one on each flight, and there was eight crew members on each of those aircraft. Well, can I say, I think we handled every aircraft more than once in R&I, and I never saw one come into the uh, hangar for maintenance ranging with the modified H2S. There was one out on sea flight, as I say, it hadn't been completed. But as far as I'm concerned, they all came into us with H2S, complete. Well, they had a specific pintle mounting through the ventral part of the back end of the Lancaster. And, the, and, and, and Tony Robinson on Time Team found a crashed Lancaster in France and they identified the aircraft by that very pintle mounting. Yeah. Not a 75 aircraft, but it was something no. they'd done. Well, I, I can't think the 75 ever had them. Over the four years I was there, I'm certain I would have seen it because the one that was out on sea flight, I could see from a distance and I went over to it. There were only a limited number of what they call undergunners trained. They trained for the point five, you see, but it was too late. We should have had the point fives in the turrets. That's where they wanted them. The reason for, to put the undergunners in was to combat the Strasse music yeah. aircraft coming in underneath and shooting them. But but it, it didn't 
it didn't add any extra to um, to, to the defence of armament because it was still night time. Uh, they, they they could barely see, and uh, th there was a specific undergunner mounting done other than just the pintle mount on the floor. So so, but in that case, now Basil, if I can go back to and ask you about the air crew, did did you mix and mingle with the air crew at all? Did you see them at all? Occasionally you would see them, but as I say, we we in R and I didn't see them much. They were all on flights. We had A, B, and C flight. And if you look at Meeple Airfield, uh, there was Sutton Village, and uh, on the edge, and there was A and B flight, and across the other side there was C flight. See, so it was just continuous work. Yeah. Now, uh, it was a particular time on 75 that uh, about one or two o'clock in the morning, the squadron had departed on a raid. The raider was cancelled, the aircraft were, were, were flying back in, and the armourers didn't download the bomb loads, and three of the aircraft blew up. Do you yeah. remember that at all? Oh, yeah. A or B flight, they were there. Oh, yeah. Hell of a bang. What, the, as far as we knew... They didn't unload the uh, device for the, the They left because they were due to go out. It was cancelled. They were due to go, and, uh, go out on a day late the following morning. And, of course, one blew up. And whatever it was, they delayed action, whether it was the acid bottle inside or whether it was the timer. I wasn't a bomber. You were an armourer. You might have come across it. So you would know what, how they delayed them. Yeah, most of the delay fuses were by time spinning of the um, the, the mini propeller at the front and all yeah. that. But but the bombs to have dropped out of the aircraft would not have been enough to set them off. So uh, the the acid uh, initiation could have been the prime cause there. Um, I'm still looking for the for, for anybody who has the real answer. However, uh, I I have another uh, air crew veteran, Peter Nietzsche in Cambridgeshire, and he has one of the axes from that aircraft, yeah. and. Uh, it's quite special to see something because uh, there was no hole in the ground. The aircraft were blown to bits and there was just all these pieces hanging around of the grass and it took out another three aircraft as well. So when they dropped the bomb, the little propeller on the back of the fin, where the fin was, used to unite and it primed it. Well, the, 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 each one of those has an arming wire that prevents whether it's on the forward of the bomb or the aft of the bomb, uh, prevents the little mini propeller winding up in the, in the airflow, right? So when the bomb is released from the ejector rack, it falls free, the wire pulls free, allowing the little mini prop to spin up, and that, and then there's various methods of, of what's inside the bomb and the fuse, but the little windmill propeller on the front winds up the fuse, and, and then, and only then, and that generally means quite a distance it's dropped from the aircraft before it becomes fused. So therefore it doesn't or cannot be fused and then blow up underneath the aircraft. It's quite a way that it falls before it becomes live. I had nothing to do with it. Um, I'll leave that. So the, the other thing I wanted to ask you is, there's another air crew story is that they, um, as one of their good luck and uh, uh, the things that they did before uh, getting in the aircraft each night is that, that, that they would take a leak on the tailwheel together. Oh. Is, is, is that a, a rumour or just a... Oh, no, 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 this was really... Last, last P, <laughs> yeah, because the uh, Elson 
with the rocking about on the plane and the violent action, that could spill all over the place. So they didn't, didn't use it if they could help it. Yeah. And I think it must have been a real dirty job for the plight people to clean up the fuselage when the Elson had been disturbed. Yeah, so no. One day we'd, I was there and uh, we'd done servicing and I was lucky with my friend. We, ch Chiefy said, right, you might as well go off for the afternoon because we'd done it. And we went down to uh, the Pickerels in Meeple and we went swimming in the canal there. And as, as, as we were swimming in it, this, I don't know if it was you, Uncle. He, he flew over us and said, oh, yeah, it's all right. When we, got, when we got back and in the mess, so he said, oh, you're in bloody trouble. Why? Oh, well, she, she, plane you were working on crash-landed coming in. Luckily, it wasn't our engine. It was nothing to do with that. Controls were supposed to be always set by a senior NCO, but at times... Chief would say, you know how to do it, bloody do it, you know, we're in trouble. And uh, what had happened, one of the engines, I can't tell you which one, I have an idea it was an outer engine, when he came in, he, he ran away, the engine ran away, and evidently on finding it, uh, on the controls, for the throttle controls, a clevis pin was missing, and it dropped out part of it, and of course, couldn't shut it back. And I don't think the time to kill the engine with the mags or, or put it in the, what's it, the day's able to say, and just landed up on the grass. So that was a day we sweated for a bit. Yeah. You say, well, we're tight bums. <laughs> yeah. How many ground crew do you, do you recall was on the unit at the time? Uh, let me think. If you looked at the sort of fittest mechanics, because there's usually a fitter and a, a mechanic on each plane on the flights. So you would say the flights there, uh, 24 planes. But there'd also be an armourer and an electrician that they could get to come and do things. So I, I don't know, it's a question that uh, I never thought about asking. But uh, you certainly, let's see, if you've 24 planes and you've two, that's 48, so you might have 150 on there as uh, mechanics, airframe fitters. As I say, armourers were individual as requirements, you know, electricians were. Yeah, so that was it, yeah. Now, the important reason for asking you that, Basil, was because when you look at the complete... Uh, amount of people that were on one station at one time. And for 75 New Zealand Squadron, it had three flights, A, B, C. Yeah. Uh, side codes uh, for A and B were double A. And because you run out of letters <laughs> for the 24 aircraft, then uh, they were given J, N uh, in um, early 43 when they switched yeah. to Stirlings, right? Yeah. Yep, exactly. So the thing is, is though, later on in the war, when they had the crews, they had pretty much almost two crews per aircraft. So uh, therefore, oh. three flights, 36 aircraft, and, three, and two crews for each, 
uh, but obviously there was leave and there was injuries and there was yeah. there was um, uh, illnesses and the like. Uh, probably on charge as well for doing something you shouldn't have done, um, or, or going yeah. me- meeting your girlfriend or whatever. But but then you'd have had admin met armament oh, tech. Well, if you take, if you take those, as I said, I think you've got 15 plus types to get an aircraft off the deck. So uh, if you're looking at that, say you've got 20 different, you know, you take the kooks, the petrol, anything like that, the radio, all together, mm. admin, yeah, so um, what, uh, 20, uh, you know, probably four or 500 personnel. And that was the groundies. So, so did, did you get up to any mischief? Not really, N- not really. <laughs> we used to get to, we used to get out. Oh well, yeah, one one thing we did, which was really touch. Friend of mine, he had a, a an Austin. He, he's dead now, so I can mention. Les Mitchell. He lived in Barnstable, and his family lived in Barnstable, and uh, he got this old car, and he'd, he'd done a bit up in his spare time, and he went home with it on leave once, and he only did it once. And he scrounged petrol. How we didn't get, you know, gallon can tied on the crossbar, and your uh, your overcoat tied on the top of it. And he he drove that car with mixed hundred air hundred octane in it, and he'd modified under the under the seat in his spare time to put an extra tank, as you see, so he could run up and lift. If he dipped his tank they could see it was ordinary petrol. And uh, it was a bit too volatile, and he, he got it home, but it ruined the engine, the, you know, the wrong petrol in the wrong engine. Oh, yeah, Les Mitchell. <laughs> oh, happy days. So what, what, do you, did you use a bicycle uh, for, to get around? Uh, yeah, it's the only way you had, yeah. Did you have your own bike? Yep. And, were, and everyone else had their own bike, so every, it must have been a mix-up. Who wanted, yeah, it was handy for getting out to the dance hall in Chatteris. No lights, dodge the coppers. Hang on, you just said you didn't get up to any mischief. What happened about in the dance halls then? Was there any local chicks, uh, uh, ladies there? Well, shall we just say that's something I won't elaborate on. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I had a, a partner there for some while. Yes, she wanted to marry me. And? I didn't, no. <laughs> I said to my daughter, I said, she might have been called Brenda if she'd had a way, not me or <laughs> To get to Chatteris was six miles from Meeple, and uh, you could get there in the lift, but you had a problem getting back. One of the favourites was, when you got to Chatteris, you went to the police station and said, hey, Sarge, have you had a bed for the night? And he'd say, well, I think so. So you go in there, after the dance finished, and you said your goodbyes and whatever else, go in there and sleep in one of the cells. And in the morning, there used to be a bus that ran from Whisbeach through March to the jam factory near Cambridge. And you, you, they'd wake you up in the morning, cup of tea, put, put a couple of bob in the poor box for them, and you could catch the bus. And then it used to be, the difficulty used to be getting back onto the airfield into your billets without being picked up. It was all part, but I will say this, the New Zealanders actually weren't as hard on discipline 
as some of the places. If you turned up at 8 o'clock in the morning for duty, that's all they were worried about. Shoes, well, covered in oil, you, could, you know. One of, one of the air crew told me, Basil, that they were um, fined for being drunk in charge of a bicycle. You, you didn't have that pleasure? No, no, no. I don't know anybody who was ever caught, and they lived, they lived farther off the airfield, you see. They lived up near Witcham, whereas we were on the, yeah, yeah. Happy days. I'd, when I was old enough, I went to Dover Street in Manchester, volunteered, got in. I didn't, I didn't want to go swimming. I didn't fancy digging old. So I thought, well, I'll go where my interest is. <laughs> and when I got, after a joy, that was funny, after I'd signed on, I got my conscription form from the army and I just wrote to the effect that I was now, you know, an Air Force. So I was quite pleased I'd done that. Oh yeah, the icy waters off of the north coast didn't, didn't go down very well for me. Oh, there were one or two things that, you know, we did in our spare time. I had a friend there and he had an old motorbike and uh, it was, I'm trying to think what it would make it was. I think it was an old BSA, probably, and the throttle was on a lever, you know. And uh, he said, I'll give you a lift up to, uh, he was going to Birmingham, he said, I'll give you a lift up to Market Harbour or Kettering, whichever way he's going. And uh, it had so many punctures on the way there that we put it in a garden in Huntington and thumbed the rest of the way. And he went and got it next time he was up there. All right, Basil. Well, um it's been a pleasure to interview you yet again, and uh, it, it's, it's been wonderful to spend the day again with you. It's, it's fabulous. Can Thank I, you. Can I just say, I was one of many hundreds who did the same. You are now 94 years yeah. old. Okay, so, unfortunately. No, but to put this into perspective, the 75 Squadron Association here in the UK, we have 10 of those uh, that we know of that is part of our association that flew with 75 Squadron. You are the sole ground irk on that list. In New Zealand, I have eight 75 Squadron guys left, all air crew, we do not have any ground crew. So with 75 NZ, all the ground crew were British for the majority of, of the five years of the war or more, but only in New Zealand do we have the air crew left. So that tells you uh, there's bound to be more out there that we don't know of because many don't want to be known. And we, the last thing, or well, the next thing we find is a death notice. And then we, we feel really, I, don't, I can't say we feel cheated, but we feel really um, disappointed that we didn't get to know them before we see a death notice. So um, for your part, you are the last ground crew guy that we know of from our squadron and you've just told me that you could they could only muster six ground crew up in Coningsby there uh, some some months ago is and that right they were, and they were mixed there was one guy there he was a, a little older than me and there was a spitfire in there which he worked on during the war at the battle of britain uh, there was a the girl there and she was a typist there was a fitter there an airframe fitter who was with the, the Dam Busters, 617 Squadron. So, the, 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 you know, the, the, there were six of us, I can't remember. It was an experience. Yeah, we made it. So I, I consider I'm very lucky.
very lucky, you know. Not only that I'm alive, but I can do things at my age which I never thought I never thought I'd get here. And you yeah. seem remarkably well remembering these stories from all that time ago. Well, they, they all come back at different stages. I can remember we had a maximum effort, which meant they wanted everything out, and there was panic on, and we worked. I worked all day and all night, and one of the jobs I had landed up with was fitting a prop. Well, how I came to I did some. Oh, I know. I'd been, yeah, I want to see a Merlin. I'd, I'd been getting the uh, studs out. That was done, and then I put the prop on, and when they started it up, it vibrated, because you were allowed a certain amount of tolerances on battle damage on props, and it, it, it just vibrated, so I had to take the bloody prop off and find another one. <laughs> Which, you know, sort of, when you're working half, half dead, cold, uh, yeah, a bit of swearing. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Wings Museum podcast. For more information or to get in touch, visit www.wingsmuseum.co.uk.